other thing that people don't realize is that just showing up with the dog diffuses a volatile situation. From Tyler Technologies, it's the Tyler Tech Podcast, where we talk about issues facing communities today and highlight the people, places, and technology making a difference. My name is Jeff Harrell. I'm the Director of Content Marketing here at Tyler, and I'm glad that you've joined me. Well, today's problem is actually not a problem at all. It is a solution. If you've ever wondered how canine units came to be, what the role of these amazing dogs are, how these dogs get placed with particular police departments and canine units, well, this episode is for you. We have a great conversation with Cheryl Walsh. Cheryl started a foundation back in 2011 called Sean's Canines, and you're going to learn all that and more in this amazing episode. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Cheryl Walsh. Well, Cheryl, welcome to the Tyler Tech Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited to have you, and I would love to start, I guess at the beginning, tell us a little bit of the history of Sean's Canines and how it got started. Absolutely. Sean's Canines was started in November of 2011. It's named in memory of my son, Sean Walsh. Sean had a dream of being a canine handler. His goal was to be a police officer and his dream was to be a canine handler. He was working on fulfilling his goal. He enlisted in the California Army National Guard as an MP and his unit was deployed in December of 2010 to Afghanistan, and 10 days before they were starting their journey home, he was killed by indirect fire on his base in the coast region of Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah. Knowing his goal was so focused, I was very lucky because I know many parents will struggle on how to honor and remember their child. I literally looked at my significant other, Rolando, and on the plane ride home from Dover after the dignified transfer, and I said, we have to get a dog. We have to get a canine. And that was how the idea of purchasing a dog came about. And when we got home the next day, the Santa Clara Police Department came to our house because Sean was an explorer cadet with them. And I asked his advisor, we want to get a dog. How do we go about doing that? And he said, gosh, Santa Clara needs a dog. So that's how things got started. And a friend said to me, well, why stop at one? And that's how we began the inception of a nonprofit for Sean's Canines. I like what you said. You had clarity on how to honor your son, but what a, what a great way to do that. And just appreciate you do, doing that, starting this foundation focusing on canines. And I would love to talk a little bit more about canines because I think as I think about what a canine does, I, I'm a little bit skewed by what I see on TV and I think, you know, it's drug, drug sniffing dogs, but obviously there's a lot more to it. Tell us a little bit about what a canine does. It's interesting because like you, I had little or no knowledge of canines when we first started this. And so I had a steep learning curve. Canines do quite a bit. And most people do think about canines for biting. And I, I tell people all the time, 90 to 95% of what these dogs do have nothing to do with a bite. The dual purpose dogs are often used either for explosives detection, which also includes all the components of a bomb. So it could include the gunpowder, 
and so they're also used to detect uh, guns and weapons of different kinds. These dogs are also used for patrol work. They can also, because they're trained to sniff out humans, they can also be used to sniff out people who maybe get lost for search and rescue. Depending upon the dog, they might utilize those dogs um, with a muzzle on because a lot of times they're searching for a, a suspect and maybe they're when they find the person a lot of times uh, they may or may not need a muzzle for the dog just in case the other dual purpose uh, there's several different things they're trained for but the other one that's most common is narcotics it depends on the community and so those dogs can sniff out all the components of narcotics and in california as you know there's legality to marijuana so some of these dogs that were trained on marijuana it was really hard they had to like not alert on marijuana <laughs> so <laughs> yeah um, they had to learn the new laws as well right right and so that was a little bit of a, a learning curve for them but then again those dogs are dual purpose as well in patrol work and then there's also dogs that are single purpose that are not just explosives and narcotics but are also trained on electronics in the jails we have a few dogs that we've uh, one dog that we've helped that works in the jail system and they're trained for electronics to sniff out all the components to a a cell phone to make sure that the inmates don't have illegal cell phones in there and it's interesting because the dog does not hit on his handler's cell phone he knows not to hit on that the other thing that people don't realize is that just showing up with the dog diffuses a volatile situation. I call it surrender by appearance uh, oh. because I think a lot of suspects will prefer to go through the legal system than get bitten by a dog. And all they have to do is either get bitten once or know they've been bitten or know someone who's been bitten and that makes a difference. Years ago, I read an article in the um, Fresno area newspaper about a suspect when the canine showed up, not only did he surrender, he put himself in the car because he had been bitten before. <laughs> uh -huh. So it, it does make an imprint and it, it just has to happen once. And a lot of people will literally, I would give up. You, you really can't hide and you can't outrun a dog. These dogs are incredible. And, and my dad was a veterinarian, so I'm familiar with dogs. I'm, I'm curious, maybe because my dad was a vet, what, what kinds of dogs? I think I assume it's mainly German Shepherds, but what kind of dogs are we talking about? Yeah, so for the p dual purpose patrol, at least in our experience, the type of dogs we've purchased are Belgian Malinois, German Shepherds, Dutch Shepherds, and we've also had cross mixes, which are German Shepherd Belgian Malinois mixes, and there's also been Belgian Shepherds. So there's been a, a lot of the dual purpose tend to stay in that herding category of the shepherd, uh, like the German shepherd that makes a bigger dog. Now the difference between a Belgian and a German shepherd, and I learned this from one of the handlers, is the weight distribution. You know, the Belgians are 50-50 weight distribution in the front and the back legs, whereas the German shepherd, if you look at them, and you're going to notice it now, it's more like 60-40. Their back legs are about 40% of the weight bearing, and their front legs do about 60%. And they're a much you know, stronger, heavier dog. Most German Shepherds will get up to 100 pounds and most of the Belgians will be about 70, you know, 70 pounds for a Belgian tends to be on the heavy side. They're a little more agile, but they still have a strong bite. Now for the single purpose dogs, they use what they call floppy ears because 
they're hunting dogs and those dogs because the floppy ears will bring that scent up to the nose help funnel it up to the nose so you'll see on single purpose dogs you'll see a lot of labrador retrievers we've also had a german short-haired pointer the dog i mentioned for the jails is a a copper spaniel we also have a springer spaniel and so there's a variety of dogs for that purpose and if it's just strictly search and rescue you'll see basset hounds you'll see beagles and you'll see the hound dogs so you'll see a lot it just depends on what they're searching for a lot more variety in species or that i would have imagined so yes yeah. yes and the interesting thing i always joke though is that the dual purpose dogs are very well behaved they work on their obedience training with them constantly the misbehaving ones are the single purpose because, <laughs> you know, they don't need to, you know, dual purpose for obvious reasons of tr patrol work. They must be obedient. But I always jokingly say it's the, the misbehaving ones are the single purpose dogs. You've mentioned single purpose and dual purpose a couple of times. What's the kind of the basic definition and differences of the two? So single purpose means they're trained for one thing only. And it and it usually is for scent work, although it could also be for just for patrol work. Okay. And that means their focus is on one thing only, and that's what they're called in for. Dual purpose means they're trained for two items. And it means either, usually it means patrol work and one scent detection. Now a dog won't be trained to do explosives detection and narcotics. And the reason that was explained to me is because when that dog gives you an alert, you want to make sure you know what it's for <laughs> because you don't want to mistake narcotics for explosives. A lot of dogs that are trained for narcotics will will give an active alert. They'll like touch it, but the explosives detection dogs will give a passive alert where they'll sit or they'll you know sit and look at it so they won't hit on it and they won't cause any explosives. Now, the jail dog is trained on narcotics and the electronics, so that's where a dual purpose would come in. But rarely do, in my knowledge, do I know of that a dual purpose will be trained with explosives detection and something else other than patrol. And tell us about the training, because I imagine to get a dog trained on those particular things, that's, a, that's probably not a weekend. It's probably a pretty comprehensive. Tell us a little bit about that. It really is. The handler will select the dog and usually what happens is when a handler is selected, they work with the trainer and then they select a dog best suited for the handler. And usually these dogs are anywhere from a year old to a year and a half. And then they have a few weeks before they go into training that they have a chance to bond. And then they go into a six week training class and that class is just for patrol, just for patrol work. And then after they've had time in the field doing patrol work, then that team will go back and they'll start working on their scent detection. And they they have to be certified, state certified in both areas to be able to be used in these areas for their department. So Sorry. the scent detection I think is, is, I believe is another few weeks, if not more of work. It doesn't mean they don't work on it during their weekly training. It just means they're more focused on it when they go to their training class specifically for scent work. And does it happen where a, you select a dog and you go through the training and the dog, it just doesn't, it's not a fit. It doesn't, doesn't happen for that dog. Does that, does that happen? Uh, yeah, it happens 
quite a bit. Um, not quite a bit. I'd say it happens about 25% of the time in our experience. Okay. I always joke and say it's like match.com. You might <laughs> pick somebody out and then after a few weeks, you find that it's not quite the fit you thought it would be. The dog is, and it, it happens a lot when they go into that basic training and the dog just isn't a fit for the handler. They just don't mesh. The dog maybe doesn't listen to the handler. The obedience isn't going well. And the, the trainers have a, a kennel of dogs that they have for the selection. And so they will swap it out for another dog in their kennels. And that's usually what happens. It, it threw me off the first time, but I'd say about 25% of the dogs we've, we've donated funds for have been swapped out. And you mentioned before all the amazing benefits. These dogs are incredible. All the amazing benefits, even, you know, single purpose, dual purpose. I'm wondering now the number of police departments that actually have canines. I don't know that everyone has one. And what are some of the hurdles to having a canine unit? I imagine it's it's got to be cost because there is some cost associated, especially with the training and things. What, what are some of the hurdles? Well, the cost can be exorbitant that the vehicle most of them have a, an suv the vehicles as we, we all know especially right now are anywhere from 60 to eighty thousand dollars, depending upon the vehicle they get they have to get it equipped they need a special car kit for the dog for the safety of the dog a lot of them will get a heat alarm so that if the car engine stops running maybe they're in on a call and the car engine stops running they will have an alarm will will set off and they will be alerted to the fact that the engine has stopped running. The other thing they will have is, um, you know, a water bowl, little minor things like that for the safety of the dog. They have to have a kennel at their house, an outside kennel. Not all, but many handlers. The many departments require that the dog lives outside the home, not inside the home, depending on what the purpose of the dog is. If it's a dual purpose, the dog generally lives outside. But it doesn't mean in bad conditions. They have beautiful kennels. They have special kennels. And the dog goes to work with the handler every morning. And so it's it's not kept in, I, I don't want people to think it's kept in bad conditions. Uh, then there's the cost of training. The cost of training, the initial training can be anywhere from, depending on the, the city, the department. Some departments do their own training. Some counties do the training for all of the cities within their county, but it can be anywhere from $1,000 or even free to up to $10,000, depending on the, the department and where they go. And then there's the ongoing veterinarian costs uh, for the health of the dog, the food costs. I find that many of these German shepherds have, and Belgians, some of them have sensitive stomachs and require special diets. Uh, meaning they have to have sensitive um, special food from the veterinarian sometimes. So there's a lot of things required. The initial cost to start, I think, is probably right now about $120,000 to $130,000. So a lot of times when I always tell people it's more expensive to start a canine unit than it is to maintain one. And a lot of times when a new chief comes in, they may be thinking about, when the dog's ready to retire, just doing away with the canine program because they may not have it in the budget to spend ten or twelve thousand dollars on a dog, 
and we're the tipping point. And I will, they'll reach out to us and we'll remind them that this is the cost. If you, if you stop this program, this is what it's gonna cost you down the road if you decide to go back into that program again. Wow. And what, what part do you, does Sean's canines play in helping that? Are you guys helping find the dog? What, what's, what's the role that you're playing? So I always tell people we don't, we don't breed dogs. We don't train dogs. We provide grants. We provide monetary grants to departments that reach out to the, us that are in financial need of our assistance. Our grants usually cap out at $10,000 because it used to be 10,000 was more than enough. And now we're finding the cost of these dogs can be up to $12,000. But we do that because each department has what I call a trusted vendor that they work with for training. They train with these vendors. And as I mentioned, these vendors have a kennel full of, I make it sound like they have 30 or 40, they do not. But they have dogs that they have hand selected from a breeder that they keep in a kennel at their training facility and they work with departments and when they go select those dogs they have those departments in mind they don't select dogs unless they know departments are going to be getting a dog and that's where it comes in handy and then the other thing is too if we required they go through a specific breeder then in that situation where the dog's not working out now imagine what would happen then it's not a simple swap Right. It's it now requires them to figure something out and work through those those little glitches. So this allows them to just continue to do business as they normally do. Without any restrictions to their success. Any examples you can share with some of the police departments you guys have worked with and placed dogs with? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, we just recently in the last few years, we are the official nonprofit for the Santa Clara Sheriff Department and the Santa Clara Police Department because those are two departments Sean was the Explorer Cadet with. In those two departments, because they do help us a lot with our fundraising and with those two departments, we always have funds for those for the next dog if they need it. And what's nice for them is that it's literally approved right away. They don't have to go through all the red tape that you know go escalate up get approval and then it, it doesn't take weeks it's just they reach out and they say cheryl we need a dog i say okay <laughs> then then they go ahead and get the dog we had a department and and it's not just dogs that we help but we also help with equipment for the safety of the dog we help with the training costs not too long ago we had a department from arkansas reach out to us for a heat alarm mm. at first he asked for a car and i said no we don't do that. There are a lot of times too, with grants of those sizes, there are government grants for small towns based on what they do, uh, what they fall under. And I will connect them with other departments that have maybe done the paperwork for those grants to help them succeed in getting that car. But in the meantime, he needed a heat alarm. And I think the, the cost was maybe $1,200. I worked directly with the company that they chose and they gave us a discount because we were a nonprofit. And as I mentioned, I think the cost was between twelve dollars and $1,500, but it's a small department, 10 people counting the dog. And that heat alarm, as you can imagine, in Arkansas makes a huge difference because it's so humid. And not only that, because we had gotten the discount, we added a fan so that when that 
if that car stops, then the fan kicks in automatically and at least has air blowing on that dog until the handler can get back to that car. And he was driving a 2016 sedan. Mm. So it, it, you know, and to these departments, these small departments, you'd think it was the same $12,000 we give to other departments. The other story I like to tell is about a little town up in Lakeport, which I believe is a Tyler customer. Um, and Lakeport, California is up off of, on Clear Lake. And the chief reached out to me and we always give a two year limit on the approval of a, a grant. And he reached out to me and we approved a grant for a dog. And then it took him to almost two years to the day to get all the funding for everything else and then figure out how they would continue to fund the dog, uh, the, the needs of the dog. And we were the tipping point. I always tell people we're the tipping point. A lot of times getting the dog, which doesn't seem like a lot in that big hundred plus thousand dollar picture, but that's the tipping point. If they can get the dog, then they can work on getting the other things. And so it did take them two years, but they were able to pull it off. And so Lakeport, California has canine Olin. Go to canine Olin. Well, Cheryl, how, how did you guys connect with Tyler Technologies? We first met Tyler Technologies through San Leandro Police Department's canine handler. His name was Joey Bacon. And Joey told us that Tyler Technologies was going to be doing an exhibit at the police chief's conference. And they were looking at offering a grant for a canine and the costs involved for starting the canine. And they wanted to know if they knew of a nonprofit and Joey immediately recommended us. And so we worked with Tyler and we came up with a grant uh, program. And we also are involved in the care of that dog. So the other part of that agreement is to cover the medical costs of that dog for the duration of the dog's life on the force. And so the dog is named Tyler and Cheyenne, Wyoming was the winning department. And so Tyler went to a handler, Lisa Koppel, and Lisa loves Tyler. Tyler is a female dog and it's a female dog with a female handler. It's nice because Tyler does sponsor the medical cost of that dog. So the department doesn't have to worry about the costs of Tyler. And that dog is adorable. She's feisty. She's won awards for her training and obedience and skills. It's a, she's an amazing dog and she loves to go camping and swimming. <laughs> I love it. Well, as a as a, a nonprofit and foundation, I imagine fundraising is very important. So if someone's listening to this and going, hey, I would love to somehow help, what are some ways people can can help you? Well, we do a lot of exhibits out here in California. We're based in Northern California in the San Jose Bay Area. We also have a chapter in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes. My sister has that chapter. We do our annual fundraiser of which Tyler is one of our major sponsors. And we appreciate that. If people wanna do their own little fundraisers, I would be all on board for that. Uh, Tyler did a t-shirt design contest at their last meeting in December. And we, at our exhibits, we figured out a long time ago that people want something. So for in exchange for a donation of $25, they can get a t-shirt. Yes. The Tyler team won the t-shirt design contest, which was paw enforcement. And the first day we had that out at one of our exhibits, we sold 50. 
I, sh I can't say sold, but we in exchange for donations, we had 50. In yes. addition to that, they designed, we had a second shirt that we felt was perfect for children, which was You Hide, We'll Seek. And we had 10 of those in a day, which is huge for our children's shirts. So it really is instrumental in our success is these shirts. Plus it gets the word out to people and shows their support of these canines. Community, community support is huge with these dogs. And these dogs are community ambassadors. They, people, again, like I said, think it's all about bite and it's not. And we have a big exhibit coming up this weekend and we get the dogs to come out and do meet and greets. So people can see that these are, these are dogs and these are approachable dogs, but we also teach people and educate them. When you see a dog with a handler, always ask, is it okay to approach? Because the dog might be working a big event, a crowd. When there's a big crowd, the dog is on very high alert because there's a lot of people they're looking and checking out. I did that once in an Oakland Raiders game. I, I said, is it okay to approach? And the handler said, no, he's working. And I said, okay, thank you. Respect. He's, he's on the job. You got to respect that. Right. A lot of people think, oh, look at the, look at the dog. And they go right up over to it. And these dogs, if they're working, respect it. So if you're really interested in donating to Sean's Canines, I believe you can go to your website, seanscanines.org. You'll yes. see the paw. So for a $25 donation, you get the really, it is a really cool shirt, the paw enforcement. That's a win-win. You get it. You get a shirt, you get the donation as well. If a police department is listening right now and wanting to go, how, you know, how can I get more information? What's the best thing for them to do? Well, they can, if they're listening right now, they get the benefit of getting my direct email address, which is Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, at seanscanines.org, which is S-E-A-N-S-K, the number nine, S dot O-R-G. And they can reach out to me and tell me what their needs are. We're pretty simple right now, although we are coming up with an official application. We always, some of the key things we ask is what, you know, what are your needs? What's your timeline? And what's the cost? Yep. Usually the timeline is a big one because if they give us enough time, then we're like, okay, we've got this, this, and this coming up. I think we can do it. Or we reach out to the community and we, we see what we can raise in that time. We know what events and how much we can raise at events, and that usually helps us. Well, Cheryl, these these dogs are amazing, and the work that your foundation is doing is amazing. So thank you so much for what you're doing to really kind of preserve your son's memory and honoring him in that way. Really appreciate that, and thanks for joining the, the Tyler Tech podcast. Well, thank you, and thank you to Tyler Tech, and I have to thank Tyler Tech for all the support they've given us over the years. It's nice to have a, a big company recognize the value of the dogs and continue to support and show the communities that they support, that they believe in what these dogs can do. Well, these dogs truly are amazing. Single purpose, dual purpose. They can do so many different things. So thank you, Cheryl, for sharing that information with us and for the great work that you're doing with Sean's canines. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Well, again, thanks for joining the Tyler Tech Podcast. We drop episodes just about every other Monday, so please subscribe. We have a lot of great episodes planned for the rest of 2022 and on into 2023, so please subscribe to the Tyler Tech Podcast. With that, this is Jeff Harrell, Director of Content Marketing. We'll talk to you soon.